Hi, everybody. How are you? So like Avi said, my name is Becca, and I'm the student and young adult pastor here at Fremont Community Church. And I want to start off by asking you a question today. Have you ever felt profoundly stuck? Yeah? It's okay to respond. It's okay. I promise. I'm not going to, like, do anything weird. All right? Maybe stuck and unable to make a decision. Stuck in a bad relationship. Stuck cleaning up someone else's mess. All the moms in the room? Yeah, that's what I thought. And if you had asked me a year ago if I'd be standing here today, my answer would be, heck no. It, well, it probably wouldn't be heck, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, because I, too, felt profoundly stuck between my God-given purpose and my own personal hurt. So today I'm going to talk about someone else who is profoundly stuck. My choice for Preacher's Choice is the story of Jonah. Sorry, Josh. I do have a lot of ground to cover today, so if you guys don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're just going to get started, so let's pray together. Dear God, I just commit this time to you. I pray that you use me as a vessel of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you give us open ears and open hearts to what you have for us in the story of Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you a little background on the book of Jonah um, and who Jonah is. Okay, so Jonah was a prophet, and a prophet is someone that speaks on behalf of God. And Nineveh, which is what you're going to hear about here in a little bit, is a very large city that has about 120,000 people living in it, which is pretty big for that time. And for a frame of reference, Fremont is 220,000 people. That's a lot of people. Okay, so Nineveh's just over half of the, t- of the city of Fremont. And God had deemed that Nineveh was a wicked, dark, and sinful place. Think pagan rituals, infant sacrifices, murder, mistreatment of women, you name it. This is how dark Nineveh was. And a fun fact is that Nineveh is also located located pretty close to where we believe the Garden of Eden was. And all of that is actually located in modern-day Iraq. So let's start with chapter one. We're not going to read all four chapters. I'm going to try and summarize as we go along, okay? So chapter one, Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So what's happening in chapter 1 is that God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah declines and heads in the opposite direction. He boards a boat, he falls asleep, and After this big storm arises, the passengers and crew members come down to meet Jonah and try to wake him up because they have, at this point, prayed to all of their gods to try and get this crazy storm to stop. I don't know if you guys um, remember the hurricane that just went through L.A. It was bigger than that, okay? (laughs) Way bigger than that, all right? Californians don't like rain. Think like just crazy, okay? So the passengers... Um, had prayed to their gods, nothing was working, and they knew there was only one person left on the boat that hadn't prayed to their god yet, and they knew that it was Jonah. Now, before we continue, I want to pause and discuss the mental state Jonah must have been in. 
Why was Jonah so unwilling to go to Nineveh? So I asked myself, why do I not want to do something? I'm tired, I'm disinterested, I'm afraid, maybe I'm being selfish, maybe I'm facing the, the self-pities or the why me's. My guess is that Jonah was probably pretty burnt out, pretty apathetic, and probably struggling with some depression right about now. This is why he was able to, to sleep through such a storm, and why he was probably so unwilling to go to Nineveh. However, in, even in Jonah's disobedience, God does not miss an opportunity to do some amazing things. He continues to pour out grace and mercy on the passengers and crew members aboard. They did not want to do what Jonah was about to ask of them. In fact, they had a lot of pity and compassion for him. And they tried desperately to not have to throw him overboard because ultimately Jonah told them the only way to stop the storm was to throw him overboard. And these, these passengers and crew members are like, what? Right? I can imagine they're like, well, if we throw him over, he's clearly dead. They didn't want that blood on their hands. But reluctantly and remorsefully, the crew threw Jonah overboard and the storm immediately stopped. And in this moment, they realized who the one true God was. They worshiped the God of Jonah because God doesn't waste. He doesn't even waste our mistakes or our disobedience. I think that's pretty cool, but I do want to keep reading. So Jonah 1.17 says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside this fish for three days and three nights. To all of my skeptics in the room that probably just checked out, okay? I'm with you. I get it. But I am going to challenge all of us today that if you can't believe that a man was in the belly of a whale or a fish for three days and three nights, can you just imagine being in a place where you're stuck for three days and three nights, mentally, physically, emotionally? I think we've all been there. Yeah? Okay. So if you felt stuck emotionally, mentally, physically for three days or more, you know what Jonah feels like right now. I know I can relate. A year ago, I felt so incredibly stuck, unable to fathom the thought of going back into ministry. I related to Jonah, and I think we all do. Let's keep reading. Chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple." I'm chuckling here because I picture Jonah being somewhat dramatic, right? Like, you have driven me from your presence. You're the one that got on the boat, dude. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I find Jonah a little dramatic here. I can relate. I can be a little dramatic. Like, I work with students. I come by it honestly, okay? So I would be a little dramatic too. And in this, after he prays and cries out to God, God says, okay, and this fish or big whale, whatever, big fish or whale, spits Jonah up onto the sea. He throws up, okay? Not, not, not a great entrance, right? 
okay? I would be getting a little bit more miffed again, right? Like my heart got softened. Now my heart's getting a little hard again. Like I can't believe I have to do this and look, I can't. Like I would be a little upset, okay? So I can understand yet again where Jonah is in this story. He was frustrated. He probably felt like this mission was a waste of time. Maybe he felt Nineveh was too dark, too broken, too lost. Maybe he felt discarded. Maybe he felt overused, overworked. And like I said, I have to admit I've been there too. I thought that going back into ministry was a waste of time. I felt like churches even were too broken and divided. I was too hurt. I was too traumatized. It was hopeless to me. The world felt too dark. And maybe sometimes, or maybe even right now, you feel like the world is too dark, too broken, and too lost. There's a couple of things that I do when I feel this way. Number one, I try to find the beauty in the world around me because I promise you it's there even if you can't see it. And a clip that really does an amazing job of describing this is from one of my favorite shows of all time, Ted Lasso. Anybody? It deserves a much greater applause than that. Thank you. Okay. Ted Lasso is one of the greatest shows of all time. I'm not going to lie. So I'm actually going to show you a clip from season three of Ted Lasso in just a second. But Ted Lasso is the main character of the show. Duh. And um, he's currently in this state where he feels really lost. He feels really stuck. He has to make a decision, a big life-altering decision. And he's, he's just really struggling. So he, he goes on a walk and he finds a Van Gogh museum. And this is where we're going to be at in the clip on the screen. Let's watch together. So I think what's happening here is Jonah had forgotten to look for the beauty in life around him. And what is more beautiful than watching God redeem and restore humanity? And the second thing I do when I feel stuck is I read this story. It's called The Parable of the Life-Saving Station. Thanks, Mike. And uh, this was read to me probably seven years ago. And uh, it really reminds me of my God-given purpose And I think beauty is supposed to inspire us to find our God-given purpose. So if you guys don't mind, I'm going to read this for you. And if it's helpful, take notes or close your eyes. Whatever helps you, uh, pay attention. The parable of the life-saving station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable space should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. 
so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large shipwreck was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in the boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were all dirty and sick, and some people looked different from those at the life-saving station. Some spoke different languages, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. And at the next meeting, there was a split in club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that the life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and pointed out that they were called Oh, I'm sorry, they were voted down and told that they, were, they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, and they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. But if you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. However, shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now only most of the people drown. You might be ask, asking, Becca, why are you sharing this sad story? <laughs> I know. Because I believe that this story is a cautionary tale. Just like I believe the story of Jonah is a cautionary tale, particularly to the church. That cautionary tale being our community, the city of Fremont, needs us to live our God-given purpose and not run the other direction. Chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Mind you, Jonah had just been spit up by the whale, okay? And deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Jonah 3, 1 through 5. God had mercy on Nineveh, because Nineveh took Jonah's word from God seriously. Their eyes were opened because Jonah fulfilled his God-given purpose. Nineveh began to look for the beauty in the world. They began to look for their purpose, and they found their creator. However, there was still someone not so thrilled by what was going on, who was still unable to see the beauty in the world around him the beauty in what God was doing. So our story is going to conclude with one more cautionary tale. In chapter 4, we see Jonah sitting on a very hot overlook. Uh, he's looking down at Nineveh. He's angry. He's bitter. He's frustrated. He's depressed. And he's suicidal. But God, in all of his compassion, 
and love gives Jonah one more opportunity to see his goodness. So God creates a tree for Jonah to sit under, to give him shade, to give him some reprieve from the heat. But in that same breath, God also delivers a worm to the tree, and then the tree dies off. And this is how chapter 4 ends. The Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? When I read the book of Jonah, I see God offering a cautionary tale to the church of today, just like it was a cautionary tale to me last year. He reminds us that if we are, to, if we are more worried about our own comfort, the world will not know or see the hope of Jesus, the light of the world. If we become exclusively focused, or ex become exclusive clubs solely focused internally, we miss the gospel altogether because God calls us to go into the land, into our communities, and be the light and be the good news of Jesus. And if we really want to be like Jesus, we have to have the courage not to look away to not run from the darkness or the darkest places. In fact, I think we often have to run towards them. We have to be the life-saving station to help others find beauty and darkness and to live like first responders. I believe FCC is being restored to a life-saving station. I see it everywhere. Ruth, you're amazing. Like, I'm serious. students working on their mental health, like there is life happening. There's so much going on. And I believe that we are gonna be the light of Fremont. But we're at a fork in a road here, a fork in the road. Are we going to choose to participate in our God-given purpose? Will we go into dark places to retrieve the lost, to be the hope that Jesus was? Because honestly, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't obey. Doug and Christine Ingebretson pulled me from the water. I wouldn't be standing here if someone didn't walk in obedience. And I'm so eternally grateful. And I know there's so many people in our community that are looking to be eternally grateful. So here's the question I wanna leave you with today. Will you have the courage to be a part of a life-saving station, to be a first responder? And if you're not sure how to do that, there are staff, pastors, elders that would love to help you find maybe some of your God-given purposes, to find your Nineveh. We would love to pray for you after the service. So those are your questions. Will you, be, will you have the courage to be a life-saving station? As the band com comes up now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say a prayer for us. Let's close our eyes. God, I ask that you give us the courage to not look away, to remember your heart for others, and to stay focused on being a part of the life-saving station at Fremont Community Church rather than an exclusive club. May we be first responders running towards darkness to be the light that you've called us to be. Teach us how to fill the needs of our community. 
like you've called us to do. Teach us how to love without limits, include without criteria, and walk in relationship with you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.